0: Welcome to the Garden DC podcast, episode 89. In this episode, we'll talk with award-winning designer Susan Cohen about working with a landscape designer. She's the Association of Professional Landscape Designers Designer of the Year for 2021, and you will want to hear her thoughts about designer and client relationships. Also in this episode, our plant profile is on hellebores, And I'll share some upcoming local events, especially those beautiful orchids that we can enjoy this winter. On this episode of Garden DC, we're joined by Susan Cohan. She is an award-winning landscape designer, and she is based in Chatham, New Jersey. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Kathy. So, we are talking on a winter snowy day, and I think this is the perfect timing, right, to talk about working with a designer and planning for the growing year, because you don't have anything to do right now, right, Susan?
1: Oh, we're very busy right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I figured. So, there's that, you know, kind of disconnect sometimes with clients right and the timing that you have for the year so we'll talk about some of that and best times to contact and do planning but first we want to talk a little bit about you Susan and your background so I always ask our guests were you born with chlorophyll in your veins dirt under your fingernails were you always a garden gardener or garden lover
1: yes and no and the reason I say no is I spent um 10 or 12 years living in Manhattan, so that was kind of the no part, although I did do a little bit of balcony gardening. Um, I was in a different place in my life then. Um, I've always gardened from a very young age with my grandmother, who grew vegetables, and my mother, who grew flowers as a de- as a defense. She told me when I was an adult, she goes, I hated gardening, but I loved how pretty it was. Hmm. So I never knew that. I always thought she loved it. She never imparted that to me. So we had gardens as kids. We were given gardens and I grew weeds basically because I didn't want to pull anything out. I was afraid to. And then every place I've lived, except for the 10 years I've lived in uh, New York, I was actively gardening. Um, And beyond that, I was always interested in design, all different kinds of design, spent some time, um, a large part of my career in the fashion industry, and then at a point realized that that was really a career for those who didn't want to have a family and who could spend 60, 80 hours a week and travel all the time, and that was not what I wanted for my life. So I went back to school and decided that I could probably apply my design skills to what I loved at that point which was absolutely gardening. I started gardening as a way to be outside with a toddler and and not bored. So and that grew and grew and grew and um so then I kind of merged the two, my design focus and my love of gardening and retooled and started a brand new career later, later in life when I was close to 50.
0: That is, I think, a similar path to a, a lot of designers that I've spoken to, Susan, in the past, that it's been a second career or something that they waited until maybe the kids were out of the house and then dove into. Do you find that a lot with your colleagues?
1: Yes, and a lot of that is because of the way that uh, particularly landscape design and landscape arch- architectural architecture education is structured it's not generally easy to find a program that you can do part-time maybe while you're going to work and earning a living or maybe raising a family or doing anything that you would have to do part-time you can take scattershot courses and um workshops but it doesn't really give you what you need um so and there's not a lot of faith or trust in online um education for that and where i was i would i had to make a choice and i could have gone to new york botanical gardens Um, landscape design program, but I would have gotten home at one o'clock in the morning on the train and then had to get up at five o'clock to go to my day job. That was not going to work. The only landscape architecture program in New Jersey is at Rutgers, and that's a day program with no night classes, so that wasn't going to work. So what I opted to do at that point, and this is before the advent of of internet um, and digital education, is I went, um, researched, distance programs and narrowed it down to two um, and actually chose um, the English Gardening School in London. And I enrolled in their 18 months long distance diploma program or certificate program where we actually had a mentor, worked with a mentor and we mailed our projects to that mentor and they mailed the stuff back. So if you put, if you mailed your Project, you could wait two to three weeks to get a grade back or to get feedback back. And you were kind of not doing anything for those two to three weeks because you wanted to build on the positives and correct the negatives from the previous project. Um, And it was really eye opening. After that, um, I just jumped in with both feet. I saved money from my day job so I could support myself for six months. Which, is, in hindsight, was kind of ridiculous, um, and not have to sell a single project. Um, but because I had that English credential and where I live in the New York Metro region, and I was older, I wasn't you know a twenty-five-year-old fresh out of landscape architecture school at Rutgers. I was you know somebody who had had experience, who could sell themselves, and there was a trust level there as well as that whole. English credential, which everybody went crazy for. So I and I haven't looked. I haven't really looked back. And now I've been doing this for close to twenty years.
0: Wow, that's quite a journey, Susan. And I can imagine the trepidation of sending off that project, and that it gets there safely uh, in the UK, and then gets back to you.
1: And it was hand drawn. It wasn't CAD. It was hand drawn and hand colored, and you know. (laughs) <laughs> I just wasn't all back yet. And I had a fantastic mentor who was really interested in my point of view and interested in what I was doing and steered me in the right direction. Um, and then early in my career, I learned by listening to the contractors that I worked with because they do it every day and they could point out like major flaws that I wouldn't even see. Um, An example of that is one of the very first gardens that I had that was I was hired for and was built was a terrace. And I made beautiful walls up to the second um, level of the terrace and absolutely no way for a lawnmower to get up there. So that was, you know, very quickly corrected by the contractor. And I had to go back to the drawing board and refigure it and talk to the client and say, this is, you know, the changes and this is why um, so that was, that was interesting. And I've learned a lot from, from contractors just because they do it every day and I, and I don't.
0: Yeah. And I would say that they're, you know, out there and they're the, if they're the ones doing the maintenance or the installation, then they really know.
1: Yeah. If you're working with a good contractor, you listen, mm-hmm. you may not agree, but you listen. <laughs>
0: And I wanted to dial back a little bit about you and just check in and ask, are you a New Jersey native? Have you always been in that area? You talked about living a few years in New York, but other than that.
1: Um, I am a New Jersey native, and actually we moved from Chatham right before the pandemic. We moved two weeks before lockdown, we moved into our new house and new studio. Um, about, you t- know, a town called Booton, and we live high up on a mountain and with fantastic views. So our studio is like working in a treehouse, which is inspiring. Um, I li- I've lived in several places for varying lengths of time. Um, right out of college, I went to art school, and right out of college, I was hired as a resident artist in one of the national parks that had a kind of crafts community, and I was the resident in my degree from in art school. It was in jewelry and metalsmithing, so I was the metalsmith. Um, From there, I moved to Los Angeles for a few years. I came back to New Jersey, and that's when I moved to New York, and then when I had a kid, I moved to New Jersey, and I moved to uh, an area of New Jersey that was very much like where I grew up, where there were no fences, kids walked to school, it was, um, you know, there were sidewalks, it was safe, and everybody looked out for everybody else, um, and I've lived in New Jersey since, so I've lived in New Jersey now for the last 30 years, 30, 32 years, sorry.
0: Definitely qualifies you as a Jersey girl.
1: Yeah, I moved around <laughs> a, a bit.
0: Yep, and so your metal degree, does that, any of that get used today in your designs? Oh, absolutely
1: absolutely it does um we use a lot of you know if i'm designing a gate for example i understand structurally what ha- a metal gate structurally what has to be done we do use a lot of um ironwork um in our work and i do the we do the drawings the shop drawings here um and work with, hand in hand with you know i a blacksmith or a commercial iron guy um to make sure that what we want gets done um and there's a lot of cross communication i don't think on a large scale it's the same as a small scale but the language is the same the terms are the same and i can say i want this you know welded here or you know i want this spot welded or i so we do do a lot of that um not as much as I would like because it's very expensive, but for whatever details we can muster up, you know, sometimes we'll do, um, say in a, a wrought iron arbor um, and we work with some really great craftspeople. There's a couple of really good um, wooden construction people, um, although fewer than there were when I started. And there's a couple of really great um, iron workers and blacksmiths around, so. Mm -hmm. yeah I do use that
0: that reminds me of that beautiful gate at when you enter Mount Cuba and the design of that are you familiar with that one
1: I will tell you to my shame I have never been to Mount Cuba and one of my really good friends is now the director of horticulture there (laughs) I haven't been <laughs>
0: <laughs> definitely check out the gate pause as you come in.
1: Yeah. Well, it's on our, our list. And our, if We have a very small studio here. There's three of us and once a month we go on an all day field trip. And that's one of the ones that's on the schedule for spring.
0: Great. And how about some of your past field trips? What have been your favorite gardens that you visited?
1: Oh my. Um I'm a member of, of APLD, the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, and every year, except for the past two, they have had uh, landscape design conferences. And what those are are not just lectures. They're also um, and they're run by a local committee, and we're able to visit private gardens that we wouldn't have access to. So I visited, I don't know, over the, over the years of my membership, maybe 300 gardens or 400 gardens across the country um, with APLD. And also, when I was very starting my career, I relied on the Garden Conservancy Open Days. Um, and I don't think there's a garden in the tri-state area, including Pennsylvania, that I have not been to that's on their list, unless it's new. Um, and I find that standing in any garden any designed and built space outside and observing it from that perspective is probably the most valuable design education i've had do i have a favorite no <laughs> do i have gardens i would love to go back to again yes um are they on generally they're not on the east coast you know so and i travel a lot too until the last 2 years i've tried tried to travel every January for a couple weeks. Um, and I always go to a garden, I drive whoever is traveling with me to a garden. I don't do it exclusively. But, you know, there's some really amazing landscapes out there. Um, and really amazing gardens, if you just care to look. And I know, I didn't. I know, I didn't answer your question. <laughs>
0: No worries, but yeah, that access you get through APLD and those open gardens through the Garden Conservancy.
1: Oh, Garden Conservancy is just brilliant. I've met so many people and great gardeners, and they're not necessarily professionally designed spaces, but they're all very passionately designed spaces, which is is really great.
0: Definitely. As soon as you see an open garden list in your area, I highly recommend signing up for that. Absolutely. And there haven't been too many lately, you know. COVID has been a bit of a problem, but they'll they'll be coming roaring back for the spring. Oh, I'm I think sure. I think
1: they'll be, you know. The, I think this spring you're going to start to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did go to one during COVID, and they seriously monitored the um, how many people were able to go in at a time.
0: Yeah, it's good that they take that kind of precaution. Even if it's outdoors, it's nice to have that. Yep. So turning to our subject of the podcast, working with a garden designer, I thought first we would define some terms. So the difference between a garden designer, a landscape designer, and a landscape architect.
1: Okay. So let's start with landscape architect, because that's the easiest one to define. Landscape architects in the United States, their qualifications vary from state to state based on the laws in that state. Their uh, landscape architect generally will have had a, an education, a four-year education in land, with a major in landscape architecture or a master's degree. They then have to do a period of time of work out, you know, beyond their degree with a licensed landscape architect, and then they have to, once they finish that period of time of work, it's different in every state, they then can sit for a standardized licensing test. And once they get that, once they pass that um, licensing test, in some states they are allowed to do... Lots of things. In other states and in New Jersey, it doesn't make them much different than a landscape designer other than they have the title. They can use that title, landscape architect. I am not a landscape architect for the reasons I explained about education before. I wanted to become one, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't an option. Um, I'm a landscape designer. Now, landscape designers do broad-based design work many of them are more horticulturally focused than say a landscape architect we don't generally work on public projects you know um sometimes you know we'll design park gardens or whatever but both of those areas landscape designer and landscape architect take a holistic approach to designing A property or a segment of a property. A garden designer just does that, unless you're in the UK and then garden means landscape or yard, so that's very confusing. Mm -hmm. But um, a garden designer is someone who's very horticulturally focused, who is designing a specific or a group of gardens, um, be they existing or not.
0: In the past, or maybe active today, do you consider to be the top of the field for landscape design?
1: Oi. Um, hmm. It's a really good question because there's a lot of people whose work I admire. Um, obviously, um, Pete Oldoff is someone that is greatly admired. He's the rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of British designers, Tom Stuart Smith being one of them. He's written an absolutely wonderful book um, drawn from the land that is just a spectacular book. Um, I love Deborah Silver's work. She's a landscape designer in Detroit. Um, Very, very, very talented. And at at the very top of her game. It's hard to pinpoint. I like, what people have done specific and specific projects, you know, the body of work. Sometimes um, I don't like everything, but uh, Pete Oldoff is, is the, is the current rock star, rock star. Absolutely. Um, And he's in his seventies.
0: And his style is unique and,
1: and very much copied.
0: And that's what I was going to ask you, Susan, is there are a lot of people, you know, I wouldn't say imitating his spot or in his school. Absolutely.
1: There's a whole, a whole school of design called the new perennialist movement um, that, and naturalistic design and wild design. Um, And that's not really what Pete does. Pete paints with plants. He doesn't necessarily try and replicate a natural environment. Um, I do admire his ability to do that. It's not a, style of planting that I gravitate towards, but I think there's certainly room and the amount of public space that he has been given to design and public gardens that he has designed are, is is just, are just absolutely remarkable. They're all over the world. Um, Dan Pearson, another British designer, who I think is really spectacular. Mm -hmm. Um, again, designs all over the world, does work in Japan. Um, and I tend to gravitate towards the Brits actually. I don't know why, but they 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 have great a great publicity machine and you know, they have in the UK they have there's a culture of gardens and landscape design and love for that whole sector of living that we don't necessarily have here.
0: And what style would you describe that you design in, or is it per the client?
1: Um, it's always per the client, but I like to have um, a very strong structure, whether that's plant based or stone, and then plant it with abandon. And we have been using native plants and pollinator plants and have been organic gardeners for the entire time we have been practicing. Um, If I can choose a native plant or a native cultivar over a non-native I will. I do have a very very big soft spot for old-fashioned plants like lilacs um, which aren't native but they're everywhere because they were brought over here and you know you have an abandoned farmhouse falling down in May and the lilac is blooming and the corner of the house is blooming its head off. You can't beat that.
0: I love what you said, planting with abandon.
1: I think that's a wonderful way to describe it. The other thing that's really important to me, um, and I have a thing coming up where I'm doing it as well, is I think it's super important that the owners or the caretakers of whatever it is I'm designing can be in it and not just look at it. So we always incorporate pathways or, you know, um, the, one of the very, the very first thing that we think about designing is how are we going to get from the back door, say, to the corner of the property? How are we going to do that? what are we going to walk across? What are we going to surround ourselves with? What experiences do we want to create and to, to to solicit some kind of emotional uh, response usually I would like people to stand there and say, I'm in my happy place. That would be my that would be the biggest compliment I could get. And I'm sure many of them do, Susan. I hope so. <laughs> and
0: that's definitely an interesting idea of garden as an experience to walk through, to sit in, to pass through, or to experience either by cutting some flowers or smelling some of those lilacs you described, rather than something to be looked at when you pull in your driveway or from your bedroom window or office window.
1: Exactly. I think gardens need to be experiential. However, if you want to just have a table and chairs and have a dinner party out there, that's experiential. Mm-hmm. you know that's you're you you're in the space you're appreciating the space you're using the space you're looking at the space you're interacting with it i've had uh one client she made me chuckle years ago and i've used this since so she said i said you know do you like to garden and she goes oh yes i love to come home on friday night pour myself a drink and deadhead." and that was what she wanted to do <laughs> so we gave her Tons of perennials that she could deadhead right at the edge of her garden that she could walk around with her glass of wine and snip, snip, snip.
0: Well, it makes you feel, you know, productive, and it's kind of a Zen thing to go around and and deadhead a bunch of spent blooms. Yeah, and and it's such a you know immediate effect. All of a sudden, bam! Everything is cleaned up and looks good. I think maybe she needs a daylily collection.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, well, one of the other things that I'm interested only because I'm getting older. is also gardens um, that are scaled down where you can uh, manage it as you age in place. I do not have at my new house, the gardens I had at my old house when I started there 30 years ago, my energy level focus and time was so much different than it is now. So the, the gardens that we're putting in at this house are really small. You know, I, I don't have a lot of garden because I, I, just, I don't have the energy. My knees can't take it. I'll, I want to see bees and butterflies and birds and blooms. And so that's what I'm designing for here.
0: Well, you're your best client then.
1: Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't argue with myself. much.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about when somebody is ready to contact a designer. What is their first step that they should do?
1: I think the first thing that anybody who wants to work with a designer should ask themselves first and foremost, if I work with a designer, what are my goals for the project? Right away, you want to know, you know, do you want them to correct something? Do you want them to highlight something? Do you want a more useful space or a back, you know, a back garden or a back patio or What is it that you really want from your space? Once you answer those questions, the next question is, is, can I do this on my own or do I need some professional help? That would be the question I would ask. The second thing that I would consider is what do I want to spend? because that will dictate who you hire. Everybody's rates are different. Everybody charges differently. You know, there's the old joke. If you put 25 landscape designers in a room, you'll get 29 business models. Um, So you just want to, and you want to research designers in your area and you want to see their work. The best thing you can do is to get a referral from somebody who's worked with that person. Um, and places to look for landscape designers that are you can uh, sort uh, geographically. Obviously, um, APLD and ASLA. ASLA is for landscape architects. APLD is landscape designers. And you can search and sort on, the, on their websites via zip code. And then do diligence. Do your homework. Go and look at their work online. On, on, what work are they presenting in their portfolios? Call them. Interview them, ask how they work, what the process is, um, because everybody's process is different. I think it's very important that you work with someone or a group of someone's that will listen to what your goals are and help you and give you ideas for how to achieve those goals. You also have to hire somebody who you like and trust because the process doesn't take five minutes Um, most of our projects for example can take three months to you know for from from the time we first talked to you to the time that you know you get your final everything is finalized and you're ready to hire a contractor and then that could take another six months so don't think that you're going to hire somebody on the first of april and have a new patio by memorial day anybody worth their weight design-wise and you know, contractually will probably not be able to meet that deadline. You should think about working a year in advance, at the very least, at the very least six months in advance.
0: So it's not going to be for this summer, probably.
1: Well, this summer is another one of those unusual summers. So was last summer in that people are booked already into July. Um, I have we're working on projects now that I know won't be built until July or August. And their, their design, their design works almost done. Um, You know, I'm going to see, go to see new clients and I'm very honest with them. You know, if you want this done this spring, A I'm not the right designer for you and B good luck finding a, a good contractor. There's a lot of junky contractors out there, you know, any Chuck with a truck and a shovel, Says landscape design on the back of their truck. Don't believe that. Look for somebody who is qualified either as a design only or design build, which means they design it and they build it. The difference is design only will design to what they think is best, their best solution. With design build, often they design, um, the designer will design to the skill sets that they have on their crews
0: for your online research that you mentioned that you would look at if they had a website with a portfolio or maybe check them out on house
1: house is a great place to find designers but Mm -hmm. a lot of people pull back and don't love house just because the platform can be um, difficult it's a great place to house is a great place Um, you know again APLD some of some of the designers have portfolios look in um like in virginia there's the virginia society of landscape designers they i'm sure have information again asla has information um if you see you know a really if you have a really good garden center um it's okay to walk in and ask who you know who are the good designers around here and sometimes they'll work in that a lot of garden centers have designers um but again, they're going to design to what they know they have and can get rather than to what might be right. Uh-huh. doesn't mean it's wrong. So I think that those are the things to look for. and again, if you know somebody, go to the Garden Conservancy. look at there's plenty of books on landscape design and landscape designers per se. Start doing your research. read the design blogs um, they're also you know a good source of information hmm. there's some good, some and there's even the interior design blogs always have a piece on garden design and landscape design at least one
0: do you work closely with uh, say an architect of a house or an interior designer often team together with a landscape designer?
1: sometimes they do. We team up with a couple of architects um and i've I've actually i met actually did two projects last year for interior designers at their houses um, because they couldn't resolve the problems. And it's it's different outside. I mean, you, you have, you have no ceiling. Your ceiling is the sky unless you create one. You have no walls unless you have a fence or you created walls. It's just different. The plants are different. Um, you could always ask an interior designer or a, um, architect for referral. Another really great place that people don't think of is Instagram and use those hashtags, hashtag landscape designers, start going through and you can save Instagram posts under inspiration and start saving things that you like there. You can do the same thing. It's a little bit more cumbersome on Pinterest. Um, And I've found a lot of cool stuff. By using um, hashtags on social media sites and searching the hashtag, not necessarily searching the subject, but searching the hashtag. Because how somebody labels themselves um, is more telling than how somebody labels someone else. Hmm.
0: Exactly. And so you recommend interviewing them for their style, for their personality Mm -hmm. to see how you work together. So would you say maybe interview
1: three Um. Yeah. Interview three, and and the thing is, you're going to live with them for a while. Go with the one whose style and personality you like the best. You can also ask to see built work. You can say, you know, is there a project around that I can, I can look at, and you can go and you can see built work. I've had people do that with me, and I have, you know, a couple clients who are more than happy to have us trudge through their backyard. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I don't. That doesn't happen to me so much anymore because I'm I'm a known quantity. But in the beginning all the time and i always had you know do you have references and i would have people check my references you know i had a reference sheet that i gave out here's three clients i've worked with in the last two years
0: i was going to say i think checking references is an excellent idea and
1: you got to understand though kathy nobody's going to give you a a sheet of people who hate them
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) but the fact that they can produce a sheet is telling in itself yeah yes for sure so I'm going to bring up the money question. So talking budgets, uh, when would that come into the conversation?
1: I ask that question um, and give advice right on the very first phone call. The way to think about your total landscape is to think about it in terms of 15 to 20 percent of your home and property's value over time. And that's if you're not a collector or obsessed and every time you come home from the garden center, you have a truck full of plants. That's a different story. But if your house, say, is worth $100, then you're going to put 15 to $20 over time in as an investment. What will you get back? It depends, except for a pool. A pool is a totally different thing. Um, what will you get back over the period of time? It depends on what you do. If you're... Uh, cutting, um, we're going to say flower and small plant intends that could detract from your home, from the resale value of your home. You don't want to overbuild because people don't want to take care of it. And you don't want to overbuild for your neighborhood either. Um, if you're putting in a pool that just, you just put, that's a hundred thousand dollars, just it's a hundred thousand dollars for a, for a pool. Um, So, and it's, again, it's over time and you, I always tell clients, your best investment is going to be in a really great functional conceptual landscape plan that you can then implement in stages. The reason I say that is because if you want to have, say in in 10 years, your plan or in five years, your plan is to put a, a pool in. Mm-hmm. And in your original initial landscape design, you put in a whole bunch of big trees. You've then now, five years later, have to dig up those trees and probably just destroy them to put in the pool. You've spent money and then you're wasting money, not to mention getting rid of beautifully matured trees. So if you have this plan and you know where things are going to go, even if you don't build it immediately, and very few people do build it immediately, um, you know where it's going to go. And you can budget for it and you can save for it. And if you want to change your mind, you can change your mind Mm -hmm. because it's just on paper.
0: That's so true. That it's just on paper. You're not totally committed until the.
1: Exactly. Until the concrete truck pulls in your driveway.
0: (laughs) That does bring up starting from scratch, a complete blank slate, or you've moved into a house and you have a lot of hardscape already there. So those are two totally different beginnings. And where would a client start from either of those?
1: Okay. From um, say a new construction blank slate. If you can get on into that home, Prior to the land, the contractor putting in his nasty walkway, three foot wide walkway that he has to do to be able to get a certificate of occupancy, and the one tree, um, you know, very often if you can work with a designer right from the beginning. I mean, we've gone so far as we've cited houses for people on properties um, because they bought a piece of land, and then we're with the architect, and we walk with the architect, and we, so you know discuss where is the best place what are, mm-hmm. what, are, what are what are going to be the landscape impacts if we put the house here what are going to be the drainage impacts if we put the house there you know and that that's a, that's a dream job for anybody i think the more important thing is to have a vision for how with a blank slate of how you want to live on that property what is important to you is play space important to you for kids or sports I'm not an anti-lawn person because as long as there's sports and bare feet, you're going to have lawns. Um, We reduce the size of the lawn where we can, but kids need lawn. Do you want to have, you know, a play universe in the backyard? Do you want to have a fire pit area? Do you want to have, what do you want, the arrival sequence? How do you want grandma to feel? How's grandma going to get into the house with her walker? All of that stuff is stuff that you can decide on a new property and you can remedy easily on a property that's already built and has all kinds of things already on it. Like the driveway is already located. You can change that it's expensive, but you can change that. You know, you can, you can redo a walkway. We've torn up plenty of walkways. My, but my biggest thing that I see on older properties generally are, are, are shrubs that haven't been maintained. So we'll evaluate them. You know, if they're eating the house and up over the bay window, you know, the rhododendron is 10 feet tall and you can't see out anymore. You know, we'll evaluate, should we try and revitalize that shrub? Should we just have a nice little ceremony and say, you've lived your life, thank you for your service, and take it out? Or should we... um, just leave it and, and move on to something else. Sometimes those things, those decisions have emotional impact. Mm -hmm. It depends. Each project is different and unique and every piece of property is different and unique Mm. and has its own problems and its own, you know, inherent beauty.
0: And what are you seeing in the trends as far as what your clients are looking for? Are there more vegetable gardens and pollinator gardens happening?
1: Um, there's two things in the pandemic that everybody wanted, a fire pit and a place to sit outside. Now, however you define that, now the third thing that people wanted in the first year, but we've torn a number of them out the second year, they wanted a vegetable garden. But when people see how much work that really is to be successful, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they don't want it. We put in the largest vegetable garden that we've ever put in last year and we planted it up beautifully. It's got a cutting garden, it's 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 just beautiful. It you know, cost a fortune, but it's beautiful, but one half of the partnership wants roses and cutting flowers and dahlias and the other half of the partnership wants to grow vegetables. So we kind of gave them their own spaces and one part of the garden, the cutting garden and the roses is really beautiful. And the vegetable garden's a hot mess, <laughs> but it produces. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be beautiful to taste No, good. it doesn't have to be beautiful. He wants to grow, if he wants to grow pumpkins, I don't care. We've given him a space that's got great bones that he can do whatever he wants to do with it. Um, and he loves it and he loves it. That brings
0: up, when you talked about one set of the partners wants a different goal than the other, Uh, working with clients as far as agreeing. So everybody in the household or the person who's signing the check, who gets the final say?
1: So here's an interesting fact of life. The interesting fact of life is that 90% of all landscape improvements and home improvements in general are instigated by the female partner. Now, whether that is a gender role or not a gender role, I'm not going to make that judgment call. But one partner makes that decision every single time. and in a, a traditional husband and wife thing it's always the wife. However, what I, I've been ambushed a couple times, you know really far into the project, so now we insist that all decision makers are present at the very first meeting. And we send out what we call homework prior to even meeting them and ask them to sit down together and hash out these three pages of information. Because I am so tired of being a marriage counselor. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, I want this and you want that. And there is a way, there's totally a way to satisfy disparate ideas. So, years ago, and I, I've, I've worked for these people now for. Over 10 years. She wanted a very luxurious, you know, over the top perennial gardens. Um, he only wanted the color blue. That's all he wanted. He wanted as many blue plants and blue flowers as we could give him.
2: Hmm.
1: He didn't want any other color. So finally, we settled on white and we've got, and some purples. So we've got a, you know, a really pretty color palette and we used grasses and other things that have blue tinted foliage to carry that through um you know and they're both happy she got her lush perennial gardens and he got blue so there's there's ways to make it work i have you know everybody's got preferences i have other clients that hate pink or i had another client early early on and all she wanted was orange and red so people have very definite ideas. Uh, I always ask, I, I haven't done this since the pandemic started, but I always did ask, can I please come in the house? I want to look out the kitchen window, which is the most important win- window in your house. You know, that window over the sink, That mm-hmm. that's the money shot right there, because mm-hmm. that's the window you look out the most for the longest time while you're doing the dishes and putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Um, so you want a good view there. Um, and I want to see their style. You know, I haven't ever been invited into a hoarder house, but I've seen some very odd interior design, let's put it. Um, and once, you know, you see something that's like super, super clean and modern, you're not going to put a cottage garden, you know, and a traditional garden in their backyard because they're not going to like that. You see things that are more eclectic and ethnic and collected over periods of time. That's one of the things that we love to do in our gardens and particularly with furniture and things is don't buy it all from you know one place. You know, make it look collected over time. Make it look as if it's always been there. That's a, a, a good trick because we like to walk away and not... Some, some gardens you go in and the very first thing you say is, oh, the designer's been here. You, mm-hmm. you had this designed. I don't want people to say that. I don't just want them to walk in and have that you know, emotive experience, emotional experience.
0: That's a great point, Susan, because you don't want to walk into a landscape and say, well, when is this going to be ready? It was installed and then it's not filled out. So,
1: Or it's like, oh, you bought this. Mm-hmm. Look what your money can buy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so that does bring up uh, the period of time for a garden to mature? Some people say five years, some people say 10 years. What is your evaluation on that?
1: We, When we draw our plans, we draw it at, at five years. Um, a number of years ago, and it's probably changed since, and it might be even be less now, a number of years ago, um, the website Realtor, is it Realtor.com? Yeah, Realtor.com published a blog post um, of data that they had collected over 20 years and they found that the average American moves their home every 6.5 years so that means that landscapes potentially are going to change they're not going to live that long which is one of the reasons we like to use stone and trees because people are less likely to take those out but you know we're a transient culture that moves at will from state to state, from house to house, from, you know, we move all over and all over the country and Mm -hmm. every region of our country has different challenges and different um, cost ratios for work that you're getting done or value of the house. You know, my house is probably worth way, 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 way less in Oklahoma or Nebraska than it is 30 miles from midtown Manhattan. So you, you, you need to weigh all of that when you're uh, look at, when you're looking for a designer, as well as when you are being a designer, you know, how long is this going to last? What can I, what can I do? Do I, you know, how do I keep this from being torn up? Mm-hmm. And the, I'm sure you see the same thing um, in the DC Metro area beautiful old houses are just being knocked down Mm -hmm. and they're building new houses cheek, you know, side to side on a property line that won't last the hundred years. The previous house did. And there's a lot of that going around in every metropolitan area.
0: Mm -hmm. A lot of pop-ups going in or, you know, the older homes being taken Mm -hmm. out. And then of course, not very much space left for landscape when you're trying to maximize the lot size.
1: Um, Maximize the lot size. Um, as well as the Amazon truck just pulled up, sorry. (laughs) No problem. Um, Across the street. Not for me, across the street. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, that idea of outside space not being as valuable as inside space is beginning to shift. Mm -hmm. And it's shifting because over the last two years in the pandemic, and I know I'm kind of veering off the topic, There's only so many ways you can get away from each other inside, no matter how big your space is or how small your space is. So that outside space becomes another usable, human, pet-oriented space that may not be weatherproof, but it is a place where you can find solace and quiet and, you know, be still. um, That's not inside your house. there when I was moving here um, and commuting back and forth for we bought the house and we commuted back and forth for a while there we would I would pass on the highway the trees weren't leafed out yet this patio and every single day that I drove past this patio this woman would be sitting outside under her lime green umbrella with her laptop and I thought you know that is the wave of the future People want to use their outside space, but very often they don't have a practical space to use. Mm -hmm. The first thing I did when I moved in here is we put in a a gravel patio and a low retaining wall to have an outdoor space because there was nothing here.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that is the way a lot of people are using their front patios now. And if they inherited a home with a nice big porch on it, that's a great place to to make an outside room for yourself while you're waiting for your landscape to mature and working with a landscape designer. And in our last couple of minutes together susan i want to thank you so much for sharing all this great wisdom with us any final thoughts on the client designer working relationship
1: trust your designer you hired a professional for a reason don't shop them and don't google every plant because you don't know you just don't know and if you're working with a really good designer that designer is going on the other side you want a designer who's going to listen to your ideas. You want a designer who's going to respond to the needs and talk to you openly and honestly about the process, how long it's going to take, and who's going to do the work involved. It's a two-way, it's a two-way, it's very much a two-way street, a designer-client relationship. I think, you you know, you hire a designer because you've decided that you either don't want to or don't feel you can get the result that you dream of. And hopefully that designer will listen to those dreams. You know, you want to do, uh, me as a designer, I want to give my clients what they want beyond their expectations. I don't want to veer off and go in some oddball direction because as a designer, I feel like, oh, I'm the designer and I know, no, I don't do that. And I won't do that. You know, I I do try to listen to what my clients want and try and I try and second guess beyond what they want in Hmm. terms of practicality and um, enjoyment of the space once it's done.
0: That is such great advice, Susan. It is a two way street. Both of you should be working on a collaboration to get that ultimate garden in the end.
1: It, It really is a two way street.
0: Thank you for being part of the Garden DC podcast, Susan. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Plant profile, hellebore. The Lenten rose, Helleborus orientalis, blooms in late winter into early spring. It is a tough plant that is drought tolerant, thrives in shade, and is deer resistant. If it is happy in a spot, It will soon form a nice colony to become a virtual ground cover. The large leaves are evergreen and resemble our native mayapple. The hellebore flower is stunning and the latest breeding introductions are spectacular. My friend Barry Glick, the self-proclaimed hellebore king, grows amazing hybrids. Among them are beautiful doubles and picatees. These plants are very low maintenance. In midwinter I gently remove any fallen leaves from around the hellebores to be able to enjoy the blooms when they start to emerge in the bleakest month of the year. The only other attention they ever need is to cut back the old tattered foliage in early spring if it bothers you. The hellebore is a popular cut flower in Europe. The flowers on this hardy plant are lovely floated in a bowl of water. I have had them last that way for over a month indoors. It's so nice to be able to enjoy them inside when bad weather prevents you from going out into the garden. Hellebores, you can grow that!
2: Making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. The Urban Garden 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City comes out this spring. You can pre order it now at Amazon.com and Bookshop.org.
0: What's new this week? Well, my garden is covered in snow and ice, so I'm focusing on the inside garden and grooming my houseplants, giving them a little bit of TLC. Some of them need some repotting, some trimming, and dividing. In the local gardening world, I'm gonna visit a couple orchid shows and sales that are coming up. The first is at the Smithsonian, American Art Museum and National Portrait Gallery in the Kogod Courtyard. There is an orchid display put on by both the Smithsonian Gardens and the U.S. Botanic Garden of Orchids, hidden stories of groundbreaking women. This goes from January 29th to April 24th, and they're always switching out some of the orchids as things are coming in and out of bloom, so I encourage you to stop by a few times during that period. You can go there anytime, Thursday to Sunday, 11.30 a.m. to 7 p.m., and it's free and open to anybody to visit. If you're looking to purchase orchids or maybe look at a competition of orchids, the NCOS, the National Corp Capital Orchid Society, is having their show from Saturday, February 19th through Monday, February 21st at Homestead Gardens in Davidsonville, Maryland. And speaking of Homestead Gardens, I have a couple upcoming talks that are taking place with Homestead Gardens, and you can check that out at the Homestead Gardens website homesteadgardens.com to register for those those will be virtual and via zoom so anybody can participate in those happy gardening